Make your business official with Google and Squarespace. When you create a custom domain and a beautiful business website with Squarespace, you'll receive a free year of business email and professional tools from Google. It's the simplest way to look professional online. Visit squarespace.com slash Google to start your free trial. Use the offer code WORKS, W-O-R-K-S, for 10% off your first purchase. Google and Squarespace. Make it professional. Make it beautiful. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry. So this is Stuff You Should Know, breaking news from 2015 edition. <laughs> no, this is still very relevant. Sure it is. It definitely is. But I mean, like the end of last year, the beginning of this year, it certainly made the rounds a little more, what with the um, movie Concussion, which is apparently, like, roundly criticized by everyone involved in the study of CTE. Uh, I didn't see it, just because, eh, you know, didn't look that good to me as a movie. Well, apparently it really, like, did a lot of <clears throat> oversimplification. It came to a lot of conclusions about the science that haven't been reached yet and may never be reached. It was just kind of like... <laughs> Um, but there are some really good documentaries out there, and I want to tout one just right off the bat. There's a two-hour front line on this called oh. League of Denial. Did you see it? Uh, no. Man, it is good. Yeah. I'm not quite sure when it's from. Maybe two, sometime between 2012 and 2014 or 15. Yeah. But it was based on a, the this book by the uh, Faina brothers who wrote, League of Denial, the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just about their investigation into what the NFL knew or didn't know about concussions possibly leading to this this condition called CTE. We can just call it CTE, right? I've been practicing. You say it once. I'm definitely going to screw it up. And then we'll just say CTE after that. Okay. The condition is called chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Yeah, great. CTE. Yeah, CTE. Thanks for Um, jumping on that... uh, grenade for the team. Right. Yeah. We've known about it for a while. It's gone yeah. by other names farther back in in the medical literature. Sure. And we did our own uh, in 2009, long time ago, we did one on concussions <clears throat> called Do Concussions Cause Early Death? Yeah. Remember that one? Yeah. Um, and I don't even think we... I don't even know if CT was on our radar at the time. I don't know if it, it maybe we might have mentioned it. It it started to really seep out into the news around 2009, so we probably mentioned it, but I don't think we understood it or recognized it like we do now. Yes, meaning you, like you and me. Sure. Yeah. Just two yokels <laughs> right. behind the microphone, watching from the sidelines. <laughs> if you'll forgive the pun. Uh, so you did mention the other names um, back in the day. In fact, we can go all the way back, shockingly, to 1928. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a dude <clears throat> named Doctor Harrison T. Martland, and uh, he published an article in the Journal of American Medical uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, and he. You know, you've heard the term punch drunk in relation to boxers, mm-hmm. like outside the ring, like, you know, he, as, as Big Ray, he's a little punch drunk. Right. He, he was a boxer. What he was talking about, although he didn't know it at the time, was CTE, which is, it, it it's really remarkable. It resembles, <clears throat> if you had no idea and you were just a doctor looking at, at a brain mm-hmm. post-mortem, I guess. Right. That's really no other way to say it. Because in order to 
Unfortunately, right now, in order to study CTE, you have to look at a brain under a micro- microscope. Right, which like, you the only can't, way to can't do really it. do while the person's alive. Yeah. So if you didn't know any better, you would see a brain and say, well, this person has a had, had a degenerative illness in the brain, right. a neurological illness, and I would say Parkinson's and dementia. Uh, it's all here. But the striking thing is, is it's not an illness. It is literally from repeated blows to the head. Uh, yeah, it's not disease causing, or it's not caused by disease, no. right? Yeah, it's a like a traumatic brain injury. Repeated. But some people put themselves into a situation over and over again where they're going to be exposed to the possibility of traumatic re- brain injury, right? Yeah. And chief among them is boxers. And this Dr. Martland was basically describing this in the medical literature, from what I understand, just the symptoms, right? I don't think he was looking at brains, was he? No, I don't think he was or trying to identify... I mean, he called it punch drunk syndrome, but I don't or uh, dementia pugilistica. Oh, is that the which sounds way more clinical? Name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, what he was looking at was CTE. We right. now we now know that we know we know that now. But again, he was just kind of describing the symptoms. It, it it wasn't until I think the science got a little further that they really started to look at brains, and we understood that boxers were at risk for what we understand now as CTE. Yeah, they'd reach middle age. They would be like a little more confused, mm-hmm. maybe get dizzy uh, when they're walking around, be unsteady, maybe just slower generally moving around. Right. And they're like, yeah, that guy's punch drunk. Just basically, just think of Rocky, from Rocky 4 on. Mm, I get them confused after Rocky 3. So Rocky 3 was Mr. T. Yeah. Or was Rocky Two Mr. T? No, Rocky Three. Rocky Two was the rematch with Apollo. Okay, well then Rocky Four was uh, with Ivan Drago and Brigitte Nielsen. I didn't even really Flavor see Flav's that one love. all the way through. I don't think. What you didn't? No. Oh, that's like lesser Rocky to me. Uh, well, that was that was when I was running around in the woods like shooting rooskies with my fake MC M16 as like a seven eight year old. Oh, so so this would sure. have been like right yeah. there for me. And it was big time. I saw it in the theater. I'm sure, like I saw it right when it came out on video. Right. I'm sure I talked my parents into getting Showtime <laughs> so I could see it. You had uh, burn, commie burn T-shirts on, <laughs> <laughs> and then the Iron Curtain fell, and I was like, "Wait a minute! None of the stuff that we were told holds up." Yeah. The people just trying to get by over there. Exactly. Just like us. So where were we? Well, this is where we were, Chuck. I think it's really important to say that yes. People knew there was such a thing as CTE. They called it punch drunk syndrome for a very long time. Yes. But everybody said boxers know that this is going on. They're and, and how many people box? Millions, exactly. You know? They're getting paid millions of dollars to do this. They're doing it on their own accord. And this is such a small tranche of the, the population of the world. Really, who cares? And it, we should definitely say the uh, medical establishment, especially in the United States, said, uh, we care. We have been calling on the um, Boxing Association and the, the government to ban boxing. Yeah, since the 50s. Since the 50s, right. But for the most part, America said, well, we love a good fight, so we're not going to go along with that. You guys keep boxing. Right. And that was the way it went until 2002. And ladies are boxing now, too. Yes, they are. Not that that's and super suffering new. suffering CTE just like men. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's not super new, but um, I think 
uh, female boxing has grown a lot. I think especially since Muhammad Ali's daughter got into it. Oh, yeah, she definitely that helped. brought a lot of attention. Tremendously. Do you remember when the uh, boxing association tried to make female boxers wear skirts when they boxed? <laughs> Did they really? Yes. Interesting. The whole thing was just like an onion setup, but it was real life. Hmm. And it was, first of all, making any woman in any profession wear a skirt these days is kind of untoward, if you ask me. But secondly... Choose the one profession where you shouldn't attempt to tell a woman to wear anything, let alone a skirt, if she doesn't want to. Female boxing is the first one that comes to mind. It's very interesting. Is it female boxing or women's boxing? Uh, probably both. All right. Okay. All right. So uh, 2002. Let's flash forward a little bit uh, into the more modern era. There was a neuropathologist, still is, named Bennett uh, Omalu, who... That's who Will Smith played, right? Wasn't mm-hmm. that about him? Right. Okay. I guess I should see that. I'm, I'm not a big Will Smith fan. You should just watch the- um, Or a fan of bad biopics. <laughs> watch League of Denial. There's, he's interviewed he's extensively in it. Yeah, okay. He's, Great. he's better, he does a better Omalu than Will Smith, Will Smith does. Omalu does. <laughs> so there was a, uh, there was a man, uh, center for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Hall of Famer Mike Webster. Died of a heart attack at age 50, and he wound up uh, in the care of Amalu for his autopsy. And he started looking around the brain and said, there's something going on here that's really weird. Uh, if you remember when we did, um, well, the concussions, then, then what was the other one? Was it Alzheimer's recently? Where we talked we did about. Dementia. A, okay, dementia, where we talked about uh, beta amyloid proteins. Yeah. They, so, they build up as like a plaque, right? Yeah, they build up like a plaque, and then these tau proteins come along afterward and really do a lot of damage. He noticed that Webster had a lot of these tau proteins, but not the former beta amyloid proteins, right. which is really weird. It was weird in that he, when he opened up Mike Webster's um, skull and started poking around his brain, like Mike Webster had been showing all of the cl- the classic symptoms of of Alzheimer's and dementia yeah. for many many years now, long before he died of a heart attack at age fifty, which is pretty young. So Omalu was like, surely I'm going to find these beta amyloids, and he didn't. Yeah. So that the the lack of beta amyloids made him dig a little deeper and really start looking at Mike Webster's brain, and that's when he found the tau proteins, and he's like, what are these doing? here especially by themselves well yeah and that's like i said earlier he everyone thought he had alzheimer's and dementia but he just had dementia which is not the way it's supposed to work right so it was a startling find uh to say the least and this was i believe the first nfl player Mm -hmm. uh, a former player that is that had this disease and was diagnosed with it yeah post-mortem omalu who was i think like the uh a forensic pathologist with pittsburgh um Diagnosed him with chronic traumatic encephal- encephalopathy. The fir- like you said, the first football player ever to have this this diagnosis. Uh, 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 up to this point, it had been boxers. Had he been a boxer, it would have made zero news whatsoever. Right. But the fact that he was a football player, this was kind of weird. And we'll we'll talk about why this was so strange and weird uh, right after this. <laughs>
So, Chuck, we were saying that Bennett Omalu um, diagnosed Mike Webster with CTE. Yes. And when he did, it made huge waves. And the reason why was because Mike Webster was the first NFL player to be diagnosed with this. But for a very long time, for the pretty much the last decade, the NFL had been fighting off this idea that concussions were worse than just having like your bell rung or whatever cute thing you want to call coming close to losing consciousness because the acceleration of your brain smacking against the inside of your skull has cognitively disabled you temporarily. That's right. Uh, the NFL, oh boy, this is, we're getting into it now. They have, uh, they have a long checkered history with trying to protect players from injury and trying to protect their own interests as either a, a massive Revenue generating, uh, corporation. Right. And, uh, one that wants to keep its players safe, but also wants not be on the hook. Money. Well, and not be on the hook for their injuries. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You're playing the NFL. Right. You know what you're getting into. There's chances are, and this was long. I mean, everyone always knew, like, yeah, when you get old, you're, you're not going to be able to walk that well. You're right. going to have creaky knees and a bad back and all the stuff that come along with getting you know, hammered on the field each and every week. Right. But they always did try to sort of downplay this concussion. And it's only in recent years that they've really made official a protocol for dealing with concussions. Yes. It was always like, I don't get back in the game, coach. And they're like, how do you feel? You know where you are? Yeah, right. yeah, I'm good. All right, get back in there. Right, right. Um, and it, it was a direct result of this initial diagnosis from 2002 of CTE for, by Bennett Omalu of Mike Webster, right? That all of this change we're seeing over the last couple of seasons, which apparently are having like all, uh, like great effects already, as it comes from this moment in time, right? And part and parcel of that diagnosis was also a a lawyer that had been hired by Mike Webster or his family either right before he died or right after he died and um the lawyer was trying to build a case to get Mike Webster disability right. from the NFL's um disability committee yeah and the disability committee made a decision based on the science that was presented to them that said yes without a doubt Mike Webster had severe brain damage and cognitive impairment from his years of playing football. Right. And then it was the only time they'd admitted it. They'd been putting it off for years and it got buried. And from that moment on, the NFL completely changed its, its course and just deny, deny, deny. Yeah. Um, and that was the state of affairs there for, for a while. But as that was going on, simultaneously, Bennett Omalu, who has been, um, at times very much vilified. He's put his foot in his mouth a lot. He speaks publicly out of line. Um, he said once that, um, he would bet his medical license that OJ Simpson had CT, has CTE. Yeah. Um, and the implication being that that's why he killed, uh, Ronald Goldman and Nicole Brown. Uh, I, I guess I should say allegedly. I don't know. What, what, what do you say if somebody gets off for murder? in a criminal trial but is convicted of it in a civil trial. I don't know. At any rate, just just saying stuff that like a, a man of science shouldn't do. Right. But the thing is is when you look at the work that he's doing, the, his actual work is unimpeachable. His, the, his public persona is kind of lacking, but at the same time the work he's doing stands up. 
And there's plenty of other people who have kind of come and joined the cause or were already researching CTE who have really kind of redoubled their efforts to try to figure out what's going on here. Yeah, chiefly uh, there's a neuropathologist named Ann McKee that has uh, joined up uh, with him, and they're they're sort of the main face of this uh, CTE campaign. Yeah, at she, this point, she's in League of Denial as well. They're they're, they're just really interesting people because they're very much dedicated to getting to the bottom of it. Yeah, and one of the big reasons why this is a, a bigger deal than when <clears throat> you know we we're talking about boxing and you know how many people boxing is pretty niche sport. But a lot of kids play football, and right. what they're finding out is that children especially are at risk because they think, and this this is all, they said they're in the toddler phase of CTE research right now. Right. So they're really learning a lot um, like as we speak. But um, one thing they think is a big factor is the, the strength of the neck uh, to... Deal, brace. Yeah, to brace and deal with these hits to the head. Sure. Um, obviously that doesn't mean like, oh, you got a strong neck, you can just get hit in the head over and over and over. <laughs> but they're saying for kids, especially these, uh, young boys and even girls now who play football as like early teenagers, it's super dangerous. Uh, there's also, uh, there's a brain researcher named Robert Cantu from Boston University. Um, and he was saying that in addition to the neck being less developed, the myelin sheaths, which, um, uh, protect our nerve endings, or our nerves, yeah. including our neurons in our brain, um, are less developed, so there's less protection. Um, and there's other factors, too, like uh, girls are more susceptible to uh, CTE than boys. Yeah. And, like, if you're dehydrated, you're more likely to develop CTE. Um, there's a lot of different risk factors, but it does seem to be age is definitely one of them. And the problem is, is if you send a kid in, 14-year-old, into a game and they get a concussion or they, and they keep playing, yeah, they may stop playing football after high school, but decades later, yeah. they could conceivably develop CTE. They could develop CTE without ever having officially had a concussion. Right. You know, they're doing these tests now with these, uh, these sensors inside helmets and it, it, you don't necessarily have to have a concussion. It's all about this sustained abuse over time. Right. So there's, and it's not just football. No, it's not. There's a bunch of other, uh, activities, I guess you could say, including sports, but non-sports too. Activities like getting in car crashes over and over again. <laughs> well, true. But, you know, obviously, uh, hockey, rugby, wrestling, uh, soccer. All those header balls, they say, can have an impact over time. Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, soccer internationally and nationally is starting to um, come under more scrutiny because sure. they're realizing, like, yeah, you don't have to get a concussion to to develop CTE. Uh, horseback riding, they list. Uh, lacrosse, skiing. Um, most of those are sports-based, but anything where you are getting that sort of impact mm-hmm. repeatedly over time right. is going it to just... it's. It builds that damage up, it seems like. It's not like right. once you get over that concussion, then you're back at square zero. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's progressive, right? Yeah. So uh, and what they're finding, based on some of these tests, like you were saying, there's something called sub-concussive events, too, yeah. where, say, like you're heading a soccer ball. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't see stars afterward, or you, you um, are fine with bright lights. There's, there's no symptoms of a concussion, but... 
as far as your brain's concerned, it just took an impact. Yeah. And it, as these things accumulate, little subconcussive events, especially when an actual concussion is thrown in or multiple concussions, that's what they think is the uh, mechanism behind the development of CTE. All right. So symptom wise, um, if you're talking to the average everyday person, they want to understand what it's like. Uh, there are different stages. There are three. In stage one, um, you're going to be dizzy and have headaches. And also, uh, your attention span is going to be cut down. Um, you're going to have that general difficulty concentrating on things. Uh, you're going to be disoriented. Uh, you might be a little more aggressive and have bad impulse control, which, and I know Amalu probably shouldn't be shooting his mouth off about OJ, but, um, I mean, that's possible. Like, there have been all sorts of situations oh, where yeah. these NFL players have, like, their families are saying, you know, they're not the same person. They're aggressive. They're getting in fights now, which they never used to do. They're mm-hmm. depressed or suicidal. Right. So, uh, oddly, they're not showing, I don't think they're con- conclusively showing that link yet, but no. it, it seems to sort of be obvious. And, in fact, we should say that there there has not been a conclusive link between repetitive head injuries from sports, from contact sports, and uh, CTE. The science is still right. being worked out. Sure. And, of course, again, there's never anything, there's never, there's no such thing as settled science. So if that's what you're looking for, it's never going to get there. But what they're starting to do now is amass enough of a medical literature um, that, that, uh, yes, the the link will be conclusive, basically. Uh, all right. So second stage, um, in addition to all the first, your behavior might get even more unpredictable, and your memory's even worse. And then finally, stage three, uh, all those former stages, plus even slower movements, literally staggering, uh, trembling, deafness. Maybe you can't even speak correctly. Yeah. The final stage is very sad. Right. And so if you are a um, doctor and somebody comes to you presenting like this, you're going to be like, wow, this, this guy's got Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Or you would have before. Now you'd probably be a lot more likely to be like, you might have CTE. Right. But we can't check. No. No, you can't. And let's go a little into the brain. The only way that you can diagnose CTE is post-mortem, like you were saying, right? Yeah. Um, and what they're looking for is this accumulation of tau proteins. And again, they're not 100% certain how this is going on, but this is what they think, especially when they start to include research on tau proteins from Alzheimer's. So normally in your brain, tau proteins um, give structure to what are called microtubules, which are inside the neurons, and they basically act as little transport channels inside each of your little brain cells, right? Well, these tau proteins um, strengthen and de-strengthen these microtubules depending on whether the brain needs those microtubules at any time. And there's some type of event called hyperphosphoration in which the tau proteins actually become destabilized. They're, they're weakened 
which is normal, but they're not able to regain strength, which is also normal. So as they become weaker and weaker and weaker, these tau proteins actually kind of break up and they start to accumulate within the neuron. They accumulate in the axon, which is where a neuron transmits information. They're in the dendrites eventually, which is where it receives information. And then they start to accumulate even in just the neural body. And with all of this starting to clog up, the neuron itself dies. And when enough of this stuff happens, a whole region of the brain can start to die off and wither. And that's when you have all of these symptoms that are basically identical to Alzheimer's. The the key is this. They're, they have associated the presence of this in former football players who are known to have gotten concussions, who are known to have gotten all of these subconcussive events on a daily basis with um, what they're seeing in these same dead football players' brains. And at this point, all they can do is say, yeah, man, like, of course this caused this. But they can't say exactly how it's causing it. They haven't reached that point yet. All right, well, let's take a break, and we'll come back and talk a little bit more about uh, where this is all headed and what the NFL is doing about it. All right, so one of the big problems with CTE um, is that there is no cure at this point. So the best practice is to avoid the cause, which is getting hit in the head a lot over and over and over. Yeah, but how do you do that with football? Well, that's that's the rub. It's very tough. Uh, there are some schools of thought that say these players know what they're getting into. Uh, if you ask them, many of them would probably if not most, say, we know the risks. We are willing to shorten our lives. Our careers will be limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, all for the rush of being on that field, the adoration of the fans, and all that money. We know what we're getting into. Right. We know it's a dangerous thing, mm-hmm. and we're willing to do so anyway. A lot of them would, not all of them, though. Well, of course not. I mean, there have been some really high-profile cases, like a guy named Junior Seau. Right, who's like a, a legend in the NFL? Yeah, he committed suicide, and his brain, after a very long struggle, was um, found to have uh, was diagnosed with CTE. Yeah, um, there, are, I, I, I can't speak for anybody who's died, but there are a lot of um, uh, people who are suffering now who are who wouldn't go back and do it again the exact same way. Well, regret is different than. I mean, you ask the young man right. exiting college, and he says, yeah, I know where this is going to lead me. Sure. You ask the old person suffering from dementia, right. and they'll say, well, young me didn't know what he was talking about. I would trade all the money and all the fame to go back and lead a fuller life. Right. The key to this, though, Chuck, is would that young man's, that if you go back even further to that 10-year-old boy, if would his mom, well, knowing yeah. all this, let him play? Yeah, number, and if, numbers are down in Little League football. Right. For sure. Which is bad news for the NFL because those Little League players who are really good eventually become NFL stars mm-hmm. that make the NFL a lot of money. Yeah. Which is one of the main reasons why they tried very hard to clamp down on public awareness of this. 
So the NFL on their part have uh, tried to limit concussions now. Um, it's not working so far as far as limiting concussions. Uh, oh, no, I thought they were down. In 2014, there were 206. In 2015, there were 271. So oh, that's not what I saw. Yeah, it really depends on the year. Like, it, they're up and down each year. They're definitely not in some downward trajectory, though, so overall. P- PBS has, like, gone all in on tracking CTE, and they actually did a concussion watch, and yeah. they counted the concussions, I guess diagnosed concussions, I'm not sure, yeah. in every game, and they came up with uh, 199 in For 2015? Yeah. Well, the NFL says 271, <laughs> okay, which is sort of counter to what you would think. NFL or PBS as far <laughs> as the stats for football goes? Uh, well, you'd think the NFL would be the ones underplaying it. Right. You know? But um, at any rate, uh, they've tried to change some of the rules as far as uh, leading as a tackler with the crown of your helmet. Yeah. They have uh, moved the kickoff forward, so now there aren't as many runbacks on kickoffs. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of the high impact collisions occur. Oh yeah, uh, is on kickoffs and the special teams plays. Sure, uh, it's a rub though because fans like the NFL is known, and I love the NFL. Like I'm at odds with myself on this because part of what you love about the game is the game as it is, and you can't regulate. Uh, injury out of the NFL mm-hmm. or head injury out of the NFL because it wouldn't be football anymore. Like you literally couldn't have people tackling people. Right. Um, I actually went to a game. Have you ever been to an NFL game and sat close to the field? Close-ish. It's like I was talking to my buddies who I was with. I was like, you get close down there and you're like, man, I would literally need an ambulance on any play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That happened. Right. Period. Yeah. I don't see how these men get up at all mm. when you see these collisions they take. But that's what the fans love about the sport, and that's what the NFL is built on. So to change that would fundamentally change the game. Um, but at the same time, the NFL doesn't, you know, they've been really shady uh, as far as how they've handled all this over the years. They uh, There was a congressional report that found that they... They basically made a $30 million gift, unrestricted gift, in 2012 to the National Institutes of Health to look into head injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, they found out that they, the research wasn't so friendly to the NFL. Right. So they tried to get the, the, uh, the main researcher from, uh, I think it was either Boston College or BU, stripped of his position, uh, even though they weren't supposed to monkey around with any of it. It was like, nope, you... Do your unbiased research, and we're mm-hmm. staying out of it. Right. So, but fire that guy. Yeah, they didn't stay out of it. They were found out. Uh, then they said, you know what? We're not going to give you that full thirty million. Then. Oh, you're joking. They pulled the final sixteen million from the from the research, and um, basically denied up until literally this year. In March of this year was the first time an NFL senior vice president stood up and acknowledged the link between CTE publicly and football. Well, they also settled. With 5,000 former players for a billion dollars. Yeah. Be- and the- they settled because it was found that they had tried to suppress evidence ab- about concussions leading to CTE, f- keep the players unaware of this. Yeah. Um, and those, a lot of those players now are saying, no, no, no. I, like, now this has all come out. And they're like, that payoff is nothing. Sure. Like, I want out of this suit. Yeah. Because again, please, please. 
take the time to go watch League of Denial. They do such an amazing job talking about the nefarious stuff that the NFL has done over the years to try to like keep this out of the players' awareness, keep it out of the public awareness. But they also do a really good job of getting across like what life can be like for some of these players. And we should say for some of people, even players with CTE, found to have CTE after death, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be suicidal or that they had um, Alzheimer's symptoms or anything right. like that. But for the ones that do, they have a really rough life. And so does their families, as a matter of fact. And that really comes across in the documentary. Well, there's this one study they did that they took uh, brains of 165 former football players. Um, it could have been high school, college, NFL, or obviously all three if you went to the NFL. Uh, 131 of the 165, 79% had CTE. And uh, of the 91 that played in the NFL, 96% of them had CTE. Yep. And it's shocking. And they, they do make the point in this article that those who choose, whose families or individuals chose to uh, donate their brains are probably people that uh, likely have the CTE. Right. When you're healthy, you're not thinking, I need to donate my brain to yeah. science afterwards. But that's so what they, they need. What's going on. Sure. You know, they need like all kinds of... uh People, I mean, you know, athletes well, to do this. Well, actually, there's a test that was kind of fortuitous from UCLA, actually. They're, people are trying to figure out how they can diagnose CTE in living people, right? Um, and it's a, they're, they have not figured it out yet. They're trying to figure out how to, like, dye the tau proteins in yeah. the brain to see accumulations and then check to see if there's beta amyloids, too. I bet they'll figure that out. They will. But this UCLA researcher, uh, duo of researchers found that, um, they could check for the shrinkage of volume in parts of the brain and correlate those to ones that have been found through autopsies of football players with CTE, right? Yeah. And, uh, they scanned some guy's brain, still alive, former football player, has all the, um, all the symptoms of CTE. Um, and crucially, he also had a, um, MRI done like four years before. So they could compare his current brain size to the what he had four years before and see the regions that were shrinking. And one region lost like 14% of its volume in just the four years. Wow. But they found that these regions correlate with stuff they're seeing in CTE in former football players. So they're thinking maybe they can use this as the test. Right. Just look for shrinkage in different brain regions. Well, one thing they do know is that uh, in 2008, they did a survey and the NFL, uh, former NFL players get Alzheimer's at a rate about six times higher than the general population, which is no surprise. Um, but like we were talking about earlier, that whole link to depression and suicide, apparently uh, former NFL players are less likely to have depression and less likely to commit suicide, almost 60% less likely. Um, I don't know that that says a whole lot, though. I don't think that disproves at all that depression and suicide can also be, you know, part of CTE. That smells like an NFL-funded study. Yeah, just, I don't know. Something's not adding up with that. Yeah. Again, if you watch League of Denial, you're going to, like, question everything. Everybody. It's weird. It's a really weird situation because on one side, you've got the NFL fighting for its life, throwing everything it can at money and lawyers, and doing really dirty stuff like discrediting the doctors involved trying to get NIH 
researchers fired. Yeah. And on the other side, you've got all of these incredibly well-educated, incredibly, in some cases, egotistical neurologists and neuro-researchers who are all vying to be like the one who makes the connection with CTE. The, the, the science is out there enough that there's some, someone can come along and be like, here, case closed. Yeah. Put my name on this. Right. And there's a lot of gross stuff like Junior Seau's brain, um, had a lot of people after it. Yeah, yeah. In like just the hours after he died and they were calling his family and emailing his family and like, Bad mouthing one another when they were right. talking to his son, saying like, "Hey, give us the brain. You don't want to give it to Boston University. They're ghouls. They'll right. probably eat some of it." You know, um, it's just a weird situation that's going on. Yeah, very sad. Yeah, you got anything else? I do not. Well, that is CTE, and I can assure you there will be plenty more of that because they're still figuring it out. But uh, if you want to know more about it in the meantime, type those letters into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this Halloween response. Hey, guys. Uh, I normally skip the Halloween podcast because I'm, I'm not much a fan of ghost stories. <laughs> but I thought it was broad daylight, so I'll go ahead and listen. My first ghost story actually gave me the creeps. Uh, the reason I'm writing, though, is you pointed out that the majority of horror stories depict violence against women. Uh, being a fan of horror movies is interesting. He doesn't like ghost stories, but he likes horror movies. They're different. But these aren't even ghost stories. No. Being a fan of horror movies, I would be lying if I said it wasn't something I had wondered about myself. Uh, after listening to some great true, prime, uh, true crime podcasts, though... Uh, of which there are many, I've concluded that the reason is that stuff is art imitating life. A lot of these movies or stories are based on true events. Unfortunately, in the real world, violence against women, especially with serial killers, is far more common. Uh, when people set out to write horror, they usually research existing crimes to base ideas off of in order to make it more realistic and in turn more frightening. So it may be easier to change fiction to be less sexist. Uh, the real issue lies more in the world that we live in and I guess we can probably convince serial killers to start killing more men. We'll probably continue to see more violence. Uh, until we do that, we'll see more violence against women in horror films. Never thought about that, James. It's a good point. It's a pretty good hypothesis, actually. Yeah. It makes a great case. Thanks, James. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us to say, hey, man, here's something smart. We love hearing that. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 